be in the presence of God this morning. Thank you for all you do. I appreciate you. I love you. Um, the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. I believe that God dwells with his people. Um, and we can experience the manifest presence of God when we choose to praise, honor, and glorify Him. And thank you for leading us into that this morning. Take your Bibles, if you will, please, and turn with me back to Joshua chapter number 3. We'll be back in Joshua again this morning. Uh, we've been talking about claiming Canaan, claiming Canaan, and what that means for the believer. And I ask that all of you this morning, if you will, please, turn to Joshua chapter 3. It's been my experience and my growth um, with the Lord and, and walking with Him. It's very hard to get the Word of God into your heart if you don't have it in your hand. So take your Bible and, uh, and look for yourself at what God is saying unto you. Now you may be using a tablet or you may be using a phone or uh, you may be using a traditional Bible and all that's okay. I don't mind you using a phone as long as you ain't on Facebook or Twitter or, or uh, Instagram or something like that as long as we're getting in the Word of God together. But However you are getting God's word in your hand, get it in your hand so you can get it in your heart, and we'll be looking in just a moment at Joshua chapter 3, all right? And we're, again, we're talking about claiming Canaan. And what does that mean for us as believers? When I say claiming Canaan, I'm talking about walking in the victory that we have in Christ. Let me tell you what I know to be true according to what God's word says. God's word tells us plainly that victory has been promised to and purchased for the believer. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse number 10, he says, the thief comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But then he says, I have come that they might have life and life more abundant. How many of you know Jesus gives us life when we trust in him? Eternal life, which is abundant life. I don't know about you, but abundance sounds like victory to me. Let me give you another one. John 16, Jesus said, In this world you shall have tribulation. Not might, not maybe, not it could happen, but in this world you're going to go through some tough stuff. Trials, tribulations, temptations, all of that comes to each and every one of us from the pew to the pulpit. Amen? No matter who you are, we all face those things. But now listen, the rest of that verse, Jesus promised, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now listen to me. If we are in Christ and Christ is in us, isn't that what the word says? Amen. For if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Jesus is in me, I am in him. Amen. Amen. Christ is in me, I am in him. Now listen to me, folks. Listen to me. Get a hold of this. If any man be in Christ, if you are in Jesus and he has overcome the world, then us too through him can overcome whatever we face in this world. That sounds like victory. Romans 8, 37, what's it say? We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That sounds like victory. See, victory has been promised to the believer. If you're here this morning and you trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sin, you've been born again into the family of God, you have victory in Jesus. It's been promised to you in the word of God, but it's also been purchased, been purchased for you by who Jesus is and what he's done. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says it plainly. It says, thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we sing these old songs like Victory in Jesus, we're not just singing stuff, words on a page. Listen, we're singing the truth of what God has done for us. 
It's amazing. It's amazing what God has done through the person of his son. Victory has been promised to and purchased for. He said, brother, what do you mean victory? Victory over what? Well, victory over sin. That sin in your life has a stranglehold on you. Those strongholds that you can't break. And all of us have got them. I'm telling you, you have victory over that in Christ. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. What about victory over Satan, the enemy that comes against us? We have an enemy that seeks to do nothing but tear down everything God has done or is doing in my life, in your life individually, and in our life collectively as a church body. So, so we have victory over Satan because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. We have victory over sin, over Satan. Let me tell you something else. We've got victory over self. And I'm going to be honest with you folks. I've come to find out that, that self is usually my worst enemy right behind Satan. <laughs> I have more trouble with me than anybody else. But I'm thankful I can reckon myself dead to the old man so that I might walk in the newness of life according to Romans 6. I don't have to be what I used to be. I don't have to live like I used to live. I don't have to think like I used to think. I don't have to have those old attitudes which lead to old actions. Now, by the power of God, I can live in Jesus, with Jesus, and for Jesus. We've got victory over situations. You got those, don't you? <laughs> I'm talking about family trouble. I'm talking about financial trouble. I'm talking about work trouble. Hey, every now and then here at Mount Zion, we got some church trouble. That's all right. God's big enough. God's big enough. So keep trusting. Keep trusting. Keep looking unto Jesus. We're going to talk about that a lot this morning. Situations, circumstances, stuff that you all deal with, you've got victory in Jesus. Now then, we're looking at Joshua chapter 3 because in Joshua chapter 3, what we have is a picture in the Word of God of the people of faith laying hold to and claiming what has been promised by God the Father. Now, the Bible says in the New Testament that all those things in the Old Testament were written down for us for what? An example. We are to look back at that and see how that applies to our life. Listen, folks, this word that I'm going to share with you this morning, it's not an ancient document that has no relevance for your life. It's not just what God has said, but it is what God is saying today to you. And we can apply this truth to ourselves, and we should be applying it to ourselves. So let's look at Joshua chapter 3. Starting in the first verse with the example that God gives. Watch what it says. And Joshua rose up early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass that after three days that the officers went through the host and they commanded the people saying, When you see the ark of the covenant, your God, and the priest and the Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place, watch this now, and go after it. Everybody say go after it. Watch what else it says, verse 4. And there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which you must go. For you have not passed this way heretofore. There's a new, new way. There's, there's new territory that God's about to bring these people into. 
Amen. Uncharted territory, unmapped territory. And these people have to trust God to get there. But when they get there, they're going to receive blessing that only God can give. Now, now let me say something to you. I believe with everything in me, God wants to do a great work right here in this body of believers. We've seen God bless in the past, and I'm thankful for that. Praise Jesus for that. We are seeing God bless in our present, and praise God for that. We're so thankful, and I can't wait to see what God is going to do as I look forward in faith in our future. I believe God wants to take us into uncharted territory. I believe God wants to do some new things in our life. I believe God wants to open doors for ministry that we know nothing about yet. But as God goes, let's go after Him. Let's go after Him. Watch, watch what else it says. Watch this now. Verse 5. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass over the, before the people. And, and they that took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Now watch. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day I will magnify thee in the sight of the Lord, all Israel, that they may know that as I, as I was with Moses, so will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye are going to stand still. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of your God. And Joshua said, Hereby you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will fail without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. And behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. So uh, let me stop right there just a moment. I got to listen. I think what Joshua is saying here in verse number 10 God is here. How many of you believe God is here? Let me tell you, I know God is here. I've experienced His presence already this morning. Let me tell you, I know God is here. Because when you've got believers gathered together, God's got to be here. You may tell you why? Because He lives in you, and He lives in me. And the Bible now says that I am the temple of God. God dwells in me in the person of the Holy Spirit. God is with us, uh, uh, each and every one, as believers. And as we come together collectively, we know God is here, for He dwells in us. But now listen. I also believe in the manifest presence of God when you feel the presence among you. That's a powerful thing. Powerful thing. Listen, God is much more than a feeling. Now, don't get me wrong, folks. I'm glad you can feel God, but He's more than a feeling. He's the creator of the universe. He's our Heavenly Father. You need to know there's more to it than just a feeling, but I don't know. I'm thankful you can feel God, and if you're in a place you don't feel God, something's wrong. I think you ought to be experiencing God's presence because man that's so refreshing that's what I need I am not for coming in church and it being dead as a hammer preaching dead sermons listen praying dead prayers now listen to me don't get me wrong I've preached some dead sermons but it's not God's fault 
And I prayed some dead prayers, but it's not God's fault. And, and from time to time, you'll have a dead service, but it's not God's fault. God wants to bless. God can bless. But when we quench the Spirit and hinder Him from doing what He wants to do, when we don't come with hungry hearts, open minds, ready to receive what God has for us, listen, when we don't come ready for what God is about to do, we hinder what He's doing in His church. You've you got to come prepared. Hey, practice a little bit every day so you can play the game on Sunday. Hey, spend time in God's presence daily in your quiet time and prayer and spending time with Him so that we come together collectively, man, we can have a good time in Jesus. We can see hearts and lives changed. What makes a difference? God is here is what it says, but then He says, not only is He among you, but He's going to drive out all them ites. There's a lot of them. Now those ites, listen to me, some of them are giant people. As we go on through Joshua, you're going to find out that there's some giants dwelling in the land. And, and God says, I'm going to take all of them and, and drive them out and give you their land, give you their homes, give you their crops. Wow. That is never going to happen without the presence and power of God. It's never going to take place. Let me tell you why. Because what you've got with the nation of Israel is a bunch of ragtag slaves that's just spent 40 years in the wilderness. Amen. The only way they're going to overcome is by God's power among them. If God don't do the work, the work ain't going to get done. Let me tell you what I look, what I see when I, when I look out here. Listen, folks. It can't be about our ability. If we're really going to see God move, it's got to be about his power. got to be about him working on me, working in me, and working through me. Now, when I relinquish my will to his will, and I allow him to be what he wants to be in my life, then yeah, he can use me, and he can use you. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But, we've got to put ourselves down. God says, I'm here, and I'm able to them in Joshua. But listen, he's here and he's able now. See, there's some giants you're facing. Giants in your marriage, giants with your kids. Giants at your job. Giants in, in temptation. Whatever it is for you, I'm telling you, God is here and God is able. He hadn't changed. Let's go on. i got to hurry. Watch. Verse 11. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord shall pass over before you into Jordan. Now therefore take you out twelve men of the tribes of Israel out of every tribe of man. And it shall come to pass as soon as the souls of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the ark of the Lord, that uh, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand up on a heap. And it come to pass... When the people removed from their tents and to pass over Jordan, the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people. And as they bear the ark, they were come down to Jordan. And the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water. For Jordan overflowed all its banks at this time of harvest. Don't miss that. That's important. Watch what else it says. Verse 16. And the waters which came down from above stood and rose up on an heap very far from the city of Adam that is beside Zeratan, and those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho, and the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground. Everybody say dry ground. Watch. Watch. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground. 
until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Lord, do a work this morning that only you can do. This is not about me. It's not for me. It's not for us. It's for you. And Lord, I'm asking that you would speak to hearts, change lives, convict where conviction is needed, and comfort where comfort is needed. And God, you know us better than we know ourselves. Heavenly Father, have your way and will in our lives, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And watch. Three things that I want you to see this morning in Joshua chapter number 3 that is going to be absolutely necessary if we're going to get a hold of this truth. But before we do that, let me, let me get you, give you a picture of what's going on here. We know from our studies in the last two or three weeks that the nation of Israel have come out of the land of bondage in Egypt and God brought them out under the blood of the Lamb so that he might bring them into the land of victory, which is Canaan. He brought them out of Egypt, which is the land of bondage, to bring them into the land of Canaan, which is the land of victory. Now, this Canaan land is what's called the promised land. Amen? It's going to be a land of peace for these people. Listen, it's going to be a land of prosperity for these people. It's going to be a land, the Bible says, flowing with milk and honey. It's a land of victory. It's a land of blessing. And God brought those people out so that he might bring them in. Now listen to me, child of God. He's brought you out of the bondage of sin so that he might bring you into a life of victory. But we've got to claim that. We've got to claim that. Alright? Now listen. When they get to the banks of Jordan through God's power and by his person Moses, the Bible says Moses passed away. And the, and the, the mantle of leadership it fell to Joshua. And God's now going to use Joshua to bring this nation of Israel into the promised land. But when they get there, the, the Jordan River is what borders Canaan land. And the, we read a moment ago in verse 16 or verse 15 that, uh, that the Jordan overflowed all its banks at this time of year. Now that's a difficulty for these people. Let me tell you why. When they got to the banks of the River Jordan, there was about 3 million people um, among the, the, the whole crowd there and the 12 tribes. That's a lot of folks. Now, if you're going to try and get 3 million people across a river, it don't need to be at flood stage. They don't have a bridge. They don't have any way of getting to where God has promised. What they have in front of them is difficulty. What they have across the river is a land of opportunity, a land of prosperity, a land of promise. And after God drives out all those ites, they're going to be a land of peace. All of that is possible for them across the river. But if they're going to get to the land of opportunity, they've got to deal with the difficulty. Amen. Some of us, and I put myself there, us, some of us have difficulties standing in our way to keep us from getting to the land of opportunity. To keep us from walking in victory like God has already promised and purchased. I don't know what yours is, but all of us have got some things. Like I said, it may be uh, problems in your marriage, maybe problems at your workplace, maybe temptations that you're struggling with, maybe uh, problems with your kids, relational, financial, physical, emotional, all of these stuff that we deal with, these difficulties can keep us from being what God wants us to be. And all of us have got it. Don't think you're alone. Now, for this nation of Israel, God's people of faith, 
to get to that land of opportunity, they've got to overcome their difficulty. And to overcome their difficulty, they've got to have a miracle. Some of you need a miracle. In your marriage, in your finances, at your workplace, in your home. I want to see some miracles going around here. In your church. Amen. I ought to see all that, and we can see that. But if we're going to do it, we've got to know what God says about it. So this morning, I'm going to give you the recipe for a miracle, the miracle in your life that you need to get you from the place of difficulty to the land of opportunity, to the land of victory. Now watch. The first thing that you've got to know is that all has to do with the ark. How do I know this? You go back and look in Joshua chapter 3, and you're going to find that the ark of the covenant is mentioned 10 times in one chapter. So I think the key message of Joshua chapter 3 is the ark. You've got to understand what the ark is all about. Now listen, the ark represents the presence of God among his people. The ark represents the power of God among his people. There are stories in the Old Testament of the ark going before the nation of Israel and armies being wasted away by the power of God as the ark went before them. Here we read a story about how God split a river in two and stacked water up on a heap to bring his people to the land of victory. Isn't it amazing? Now, folks, listen to me. I'm telling you about how powerful God is, and I want you to get a hold of it. If you don't think this is amazing, I want you to go home this evening, get in your bathtub, and stack up some water. Get in your sink, stack up some water. See, this is stuff only God can do. For them to get to where they need to be, some God had to do some stuff only he could do. So that ark represents the presence of God among God's people. Now let me tell you something. The scripture says in Hebrews chapter 8, verse number 5, I'm not going to turn over there, but I ask you to go back and you can look. You can really look at all of Hebrews 7 and Hebrews 8, and you're going to find out that Jesus is mentioned all throughout the Old Testament and what the Bible calls types and shadows. Amen? I mean, we, our, our young people used to do a, uh, a drama here that I loved. It was called He Is. And it went through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers all the way through Revelation talking about who Jesus is in every book. I can promise you, if you are looking, you will find Jesus in every book. Throughout the Old Testament, He was in types and shadows pointing us to the coming Christ. Amen? It's all about Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. You need to know that. So one of these types and shadows is the Ark of the Covenant. Let me tell you how I know it, because of what it's made of. It's made of wood, which represents the humanity of Jesus, and it's made of gold, which represents the deity of Jesus. Now we're going to talk more about that in just a moment, but I want you to get a hold of that part. How many of you know Jesus is God who became man to do for men what men couldn't do for themselves? The point you need to see is that the presence of God in the ark represents Christ for you and I today. My first point is this. If you're going to get a recipe for a miracle, the first thing you've got to do in your life and the first thing I've got to do in my life is pursue Christ. Look at verse 3. It says, when the ark goes by, three words that I want you to get a hold of. Watch what it says. Last, Last three words. Everybody read it with me. Go after it. Now, if that represents, remember now, 
When we're studying the Word of God, we think, we're, we're always thinking, what did it mean then? What does it mean now? And then when it bursts the flame for us, what does it mean for me? So what did it mean for them? Go after it. Go after the ark. What does it mean now and for us? This is a picture of Jesus. Go after Jesus. So listen to me. Say it with me. Go after him. Go after him. Say it louder. Go after him. If you want to get the miracle you need to bring you to the place you want to be so that you might be effective as a child of God in your ministry for making an impact for the kingdom of God, you've got to go after him. You've got to pursue Jesus. Two ways. First of all, you follow him for salvation. Salvation. The book of Acts says there is no other name under heaven whereby men might be saved except the name of Jesus. Jesus said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, not a truth, not a life. That would leave room for other ways, other truths, other ways to true eternal life. No, he's, he says, I am the way. I'm the only one. I don't care what Oprah says, he's the only one. I don't care what the liberal news media says. He's the only one. I don't care what the uh, imams in the Muslim religion says. He's the only one. I don't care what the Buddhist says. He's the only one. He's the only one who overcome the grave. That's the one I'm following. If he overcome the grave, if he has power over life and death, that's the one I'm following. We follow Jesus for salvation. Amen. Trusting him for the forgiveness of our sin so that we might be born again into the family of God. I'm so thankful that God the Holy Spirit once upon a time convicted my heart, brought me to the place of hopelessness and helplessness before the Lord and I realized my great need of a Savior. I realized how sinful I was and where I was headed. And listen, at that moment, I just fell down at the foot of the cross and said, Lord, I can't do it, but you can. And I trust you to save me. Trust you to forgive me. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Trust him, follow him for salvation. Pursue Christ, seek, and you will find. Ask, and you shall receive. Knock, and the door will be given unto you. Some of you are searching for what you need. What you need is Jesus. Keep seeking, you'll find it. Keep knocking, he'll answer. I'm telling you, it was true for me. But after I got saved, let me tell you what I figured out. I figured out very quickly after that, because of some good Bible preaching under some fantastic men of God, I figured out plainly, not only am I supposed to be a, a, a child of God, but I'm also supposed to be a servant of God. I don't only follow him for salvation now, I follow him in service. In service. He is my example. He came to do the will of the Father. And folks, listen to me. I am now as a child of God to do the will of the Father. I'm to serve Him. Amen? And a lot of people who claim the name of Jesus, who have followed Him for salvation, who have trusted in Christ and been born again, they're, they're not happy in their Christian walk because they're not serving. Let me tell you something. You are created as a child of God, new in Jesus, to be a servant. You've been saved to serve. 
And until you get a hold of that, you're always going to feel like something's missing in your life. Man, you've got to be doing what God's called you to do. Amen? When is a dog the happiest? When he's barking. I think. We got a new puppy. That puppy's name is Legend. He is legendary for his barking at night. I can promise you that. We named him right. And now that we've got him, the kids want to keep him in the house, and we're doing everything we can to do that. I don't know how that's quite going to work out yet. We're still trying to get all that worked out. But we've got him in his little cage there in the house. And all night, for the first two nights he was in there, it's gotten a lot better since then, but all night, all I could hear was, it was not even a, it wasn't even a, a right bark. Just a lot of howling and half barks, and I've never heard nothing like it in all my life. Why was he doing that? Because that's what he's created to do. Why do birds fly? That's what they're created to do. Why do fish swim? That's what they're created to do. Let me ask you this. Why do Christians serve? That's what they're created to do. And if you're not doing what you've been created and new in Christ to do, then folks, you're never going to be what God wants you to be. And, and listen, there's always going to be a void for the child of God that's not serving. So we follow Him in salvation. We follow Him in service. Let me tell you a foolproof way of living in victory. Keep your eyes on Jesus and do what he does. Let me tell you a foolproof way. Quit, quit worrying about everything else. Some of y'all are so worried about what somebody else is going to say or think. Quit worrying about everybody else. They didn't serve you. They didn't save you. You're not called to serve them. Jesus has called us to unity, not uniformity. I don't have to be just like you. You don't have to be just like me. Matter of fact, God made me for me and you for you. Now the best me I can be is me full of Jesus. And the best me you you can be is you full of Jesus. And when it's me full of Jesus and you full of Jesus, just being us full of Jesus, then we can accomplish God's purpose. Why? Because we're in the body. We're many members. I might be a foot or an ear. You may be an eye or a toe. I'll be a toe. You can be an ear. Either way, working together differently, full of Christ, is what it's all about. So serve. Follow him. Pursue Jesus. Find out what Jesus is doing and get in on it. Let me tell you what I found, what blessed my soul in, in Cuba. We got an opportunity. God opened the door to go to Cuba. We get down there. And, uh, man, guess what I found out? God's doing something down there. Boy, there's revival taking place in Cuba. I promise you. It amazed me. The, the Spirit of God was so strong. God was working in such a fantastic, mighty way. And we saw God was doing something. You know what? I I'm, let's get in on that. And then God made a way for us to get in on it. A full, foolproof way of living in victory. Find out what Jesus is doing and get in on it. Pursue Him. Whatever He's doing. Whatever he's doing. Let me give you number two. Don't just pursue Jesus. Perceive Jesus. What do I mean when I say perceive? To look. Look at verse four. Watch. 
Yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. That's about a half a mile. Come not near unto it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. So really what Joshua is letting the people know, don't everybody crowd around it. Stay back a ways from it so you can see where it's going. And as you see where it's going, just follow it. But you got to see it. you got to see it if you're going to follow it. you got to perceive it. Now, how are we going to perceive Jesus? How are we really going to know who he is? Well, let's look to the ark. I not only want you to look on the outside of it, but I also want you to look in it. Now, we've already talked a little bit about the outside. The outside is made of wood, and it's made of gold. Wood representing his humanity. Gold representing his deity. He is the God-man. God who became man to do for men what men can't do for themselves. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. He's God incarnate, or was God incarnate in the flesh. It's amazing. Now, let me say something else, though. Not only do we need to look on the outside, but we certainly need to look on the inside. And what's on, in, on the inside of the ark? Well, there's three things. First of all, there's the tables of the Ten Commandments. Now, what does this mean? If this is a picture of Christ, what does this picture about Christ? What does this tell us about Christ? How do we see him? Well, the, the, the Ten Commandments represents the righteousness of God. I mean, you know, there ain't nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. Everything's right with the Ten Commandments. But the Bible says it became my schoolmaster that brought me unto salvation. Why? Because I saw the holiness, the perfection of the Ten Commandments, and I saw how unholy I was. It said thou shalt not lie, but guess what? I've told a lie. It said thou shalt not steal, but guess what? I've, I've took something that don't belong to me. It said thou shalt not commit adultery, but guess what? I've looked on a woman with lust in my heart. Therefore, the Bible says I've done it already. Because God's standard is so high. It says thou shalt not murder, but guess what? I've, I've held hatred in my heart towards someone else. And 1 John 3.15 says if you hold hatred in your heart towards your brothers, it's like committing murder. God's standard is so high I can't keep it. Nothing wrong with God's standard or something wrong with me. So those Ten Commandments represents the righteousness of Christ. He came and lived perfect, being born perfect so that he might go to the cross and be the Lamb of God without spot or blemish. 1 Peter 1.9 says that. He's the Lamb of God without spot or blemish who shed his blood for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, meaning God the Father, hath made him, meaning God the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin, so that we might be called the righteousness of God in him. It wasn't because of his sin that he died, it was because of my sin. So that Ten Commandments represents the righteousness of Jesus. He fulfilled God's righteousness through his perfect life. And then he fulfilled God's wrath through his sacrificial death against sin. He took my punishment, brothers and sisters, and he took yours. Let me tell you what else is in there. Aaron's rod that budded. Who is Aaron? He's the high priest among the people that led them through the wilderness. And he had a rod. It's just a walking staff. But this rod was just a dead stick. But guess what happened for this dead stick? It began to bud and show forth new life. And it was there in the ark. What does this represent? If the Ten Commandments represents the righteousness of Christ, the, 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 the rod that budded represents the resurrection of Christ. Amen. He was dead. He died for you and me. The Bible says he was put in a tomb, but it was just a borrowed tomb. He wouldn't go need it but three days. 
lives. And the third day, he rose again to walk in the newness of life. And now, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, that the same spirit, the same power that raised up Jesus from the dead now dwells in the child of God. Wow. Then we see a bowl of manna. It's in the ark. What is the manna? It's the remedy. Remedy for what? A hungry belly. The nation of Israel was coming through the wilderness. In the wilderness, there's no jacks to stop at or McDonald's or Subway. <laughs> they had nothing. They were slaves from Egypt. So they had to rely upon God's remedy for their hungry bellies and their thirsty mouths. And God provided every step of the way. He rained down angel food from heaven, chocolate and biscuits. Again, I think that's in Leviticus. I'm still checking it out, but I'm pretty sure it was chocolate and biscuits. He rained it down from heaven. And they picked up a little bit of that manna and put it there in the ark. What does it represent? The remedy for the thirsty soul. Sustenance in a land of nothing. You live in a land of nothing, spiritually speaking. You live in a dead dull dark world spiritually speaking Jesus is the light and if you're longing for something he's the remedy if you're hungry for something you'll know what it is he's the remedy you've tried the pill you've tried the party you've tried the person you've tried power you've tried everything to fill that longing he's the remedy Look to him. He's the righteousness of God. He's the resurrection. He's the remedy for the hungry soul. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, child of God. Listen to me, sinner. Look to Jesus. I read or Hebrews 12, 2 to you last week, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Look to him. Look to him when things go bad. Look to him. Look to him when you don't know which way to turn. Look to him. I'm telling you, he's there for his people. Hey, when, when it seems like life's snuck up behind you and jerked a rug out from under your feet and you fell flat on your face, look to Jesus. When you've got more month than you do money, look to Jesus. When the doctor gives you a bad report, look to Jesus. When that son or daughter goes wayward, look to Jesus. Come to find out he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all we can ask or think. I've come to find out when nobody else is able, he's able. When nobody else understands, he understands. When nobody else knows, he knows. When nobody else can help me, folks, he can help me. He's my ever-present help in the time of need. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the fortress and my strong tower that I'll run to. Look to Jesus. Sorry, but look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Don't look to people. I found out real quick, Brother Keith, in the ministry, if you start looking at people, you won't be in the ministry long. 
Well, people break your heart. I can't tell you how hard it is to love people. All you know to love them. And just try to be a servant of God to them. The best you can. I'm not perfect, but the best you can. The best you know how. And you, and you, you do everything you know to do. And you, you, you make the calls, you make the visits, you do this, you do that, and they still turn their back on God and walk away. That rips your heart out. And when you got faith in people that do that, it'll tear you down. Until I look to myself and I realize, except by God's grace, that's me too. So you better not put your eyes on people. Don't put your eyes on your pastor either. Now I want to be there for you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to do everything I can to share with you truth. I take what I do very seriously because I know the responsibility I have. And I know one day I'm going to stand before the Lord. So I'm going to do what I know to do, what I can do, all I can do, but I'm not perfect. I'm going to try to let my yes be yes, my no be no, and if I tell you something, I'm going to do it, but I'm not perfect. Don't put your eyes on your pastor. Let me tell you something else. Don't put your eyes on your proclamation. I was talking to, let me tell you what I mean by that. I was talking to a guy not too long ago. Lives one of the most immoral lives, you know, just living wayward, not doing what God wants him to do. The Lord opened the door one day at my workplace just to share truth with him. It's amazing how God the Holy Spirit does that at the right time in the right place. And I started telling him about all of our need for Jesus. That's what I'm telling you this morning, a lot of it. And he said, well, I was baptized years ago down at the Baptist church. I'm a member down there. Folks, let me tell you something. You can be a bad Baptist and go to hell. But let me tell you something else. You can be a good Baptist and go to hell. Because it's not about being a Baptist. It's not about your creed. It's about Christ. It's not about just being a member of a church. It's about being a member of the body. It's about you being in him and him being in you. Is that true of you? You need to ask yourself that. Take inventory. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Listen, don't, don't, put, don't, don't put your eyes on your problem either. You know that's what Peter did? Matthew chapter 14, Peter gets down out of the boat to walk to Jesus on the water. This brother's strolling out there on the water. And then all of a sudden, the Bible says he took his eyes off Jesus and he saw the wind being boisterous, the waves crashing and the lightning striking, the rain pouring. He took his eyes off Jesus and put it on his problem. He said, you know what he thought? I can't walk on water. I'm about to drown. Guess what? He was right. He was right. He can walk on water. If you don't keep your eyes on Jesus, if you don't rest in him, if you don't rely upon him, you can't. I can't preach the sermon. That's right, I can't. I can go through the motions. I can even study it out. Put it in an outline. But if I don't have the power of God, if I'm not resting in the presence of God, it comes to nothing. It's not effective. I can't sing the song. That's right, you can't. 
and you can go through the motions, but to be effective, you've got to rest in and rely upon him. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. I can't witness. No, you can't. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus, you can. I can't teach the Sunday school class. That's right, you can't. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus, you can. I'm just saying, keep your eyes on Jesus. Perceive him. He's the righteousness, the resurrection, and the remedy. Let me give you one more very quickly. If y'all listen faster, I'd talk faster. <laughs> Let me give you one more and I'm done, I promise. Listen, I want you to see this morning, not only folks, do you need to pursue Jesus and perceive Jesus, but also you need to prefer Jesus above everything else. What? One, one more verse, watch what it says. Joshua chapter number three and look at verse five. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Wow. Sanctify. What does sanctify mean? It means to be set apart, to separate yourself for the purpose of God. Cleaned up and set apart for God's purpose and plan. When, when, when you prefer Jesus, you'll be separate from the things of the world. And you'll, be, you'll be separate in such a way that people can't even believe how you live it. Now, let me tell you why I say that. There was years ago before I got serious about the Lord. And this Sunday, I wouldn't have been in church. Let me tell you why. Because this Sunday, the NFC and AFC championship is on. And about this time, years ago, I'd have been about five cans into a 12-pack by now. Waiting on the game. But you know what? Then I got serious about Jesus. And he got serious about me. And now I prefer him. Amen. I prefer him over the AFC and NFC championship. I had rather be in church with the presence of God and the power of God and the people of God and the place of God. I'd rather be here than anywhere else I know of. This is food for my soul. I need it. I long for it. I'm desperate for God's power and presence. I love it. I prefer him. I prefer him on Sunday night too. There's a lot of other things I can do on Sunday night. A lot of other things y'all are doing on Sunday night. We still having Sunday night service. Prefer him then too. Let me say one other thing. I prefer him on Wednesday night. Amen. Man, some good things happen around here on Wednesday night. Come out and be a part of it. Prefer him then too. Hey, prefer him at the workplace tomorrow. Right? Prefer him in your home. Be separate. Be set apart. Somebody says, you know what? Something's different about that guy. It's got to be Jesus. He's walking in love and peace and power and joy. Prefer him. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself just a little bit, but I've just got to read to you Joshua chapter number 14. Excuse me, Joshua 24, verse number 14. Joshua speaking here. He says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood in Egypt. And serve you the Lord. 
what's, you know, let me tell you what he's saying? Be separate. He goes on to say, yes, for me and my house, we're going to serve Jesus. I can't speak to anybody else. I don't know what anybody else's house is going to do, but for me and mine, we're going to try to serve the Lord. Let me tell you what that brother was. Sanctified. Set apart. Preferring Christ. Do you want your miracle in your time of difficulty to bring you to the land of victory and opportunity and prosperity? In your Christian walk, if you want a recipe for a miracle, let me tell you, pursue Christ, perceive Christ, prefer Christ. It's all about Jesus. He makes all the difference. Everybody stand together. Do you need him today? Have you been born again? <laughs> if not, today's the day. Today's the day. The one who has changed me can and will change you. Oh, we all need him, though. If you are saved, you still need him. I mean, no, I still need him just as much today as the day he saved me. And his grace is sufficient. He continually walks with me, leads, guides, and directs me. I'm so thankful for that. He's so good. If you need him today, child of God, you come. Lost friend, if you don't know the Lord yet, why not today? Why not now? I was reading in preparation for this message this morning, an old hymn song. It's on page 285 of your white hymnals. I'm just going to read it. It says, Take up thy cross and follow me. I heard my master say, I gave my life to ransom thee. Surrender your all today. He drew me closer to his side. I sought his will to know. And in that will I now abide wherever he leads I'll go. It may be through the shadows dim or o'er the stormy sea. I take my cross and follow him wherever he leadeth me. My heart, my life, my all I bring to Christ who loves me so. He is my master, Lord and King. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Amen. Let me ask you something. Are you following him? Are you following him? If he says go, go. If he says stay, stay. Look unto Jesus and keep your eyes on him. Are you following Christ today? If not, why not? Today's the day. Today's the right day for you to get saved. You need to be saved. Today's the day for you to get back on track. As a child of grace, brother, I know I've been born again, but I've just got, I've gotten off track. I've not been following him like I should. Well, guess what? We all do. We all do. If you need him today, won't you come? Play for us, brother.